Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Am I still on? talk everything women and children's issues she does some work with the un buckle up enjoy the show welcome aboard producer producer has to try and stop the music on time because i'm one man show welcome matea you've been so generous with your time i appreciate that how are you feeling in this crazy crazy time these days Honestly, I love chaos for some strange reason because it reveals a lot and it keeps you on your toes. So I'm, I'm actually enjoying the ride, to okay. be honest, because that's Whoa. literally all you can do. You have to either go with the flow or try to fight it and be miserable. And I'm choosing to be pretty positive through it all. So I'm enjoying life. It's a great How take. about you? I'm okay. Finding my way. It's a brand new world for me down here. But uh, just for those that don't know exactly who you are and what you're all about, maybe you could just give a short bio. Where'd you come from? Who are your parents? How'd you grow up? And more importantly, how'd you get to this stage where we are today? For sure. So I originally am from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, right in the middle of the great nation of China now, as it is China, Okay. And- <laughs> You know, it's it's a it's a crazy place to be. It it's, it's insane to be in Canada now. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up a Christian in in this sort of a small city, in a very conservative province. So at least once was a conservative province, mm-hmm. and my parents had a construction company. So I grew up working in that construction company. And then I ended up going to a private Christian school in Saskatoon where I actually got booted out for standing up for my faith, coincidentally. And that led me to having a lot of time on my hands. And one of my friends, family friends is running for, to be a member of parliament. So that's where I ended up going and getting engaged in in politics. Mm -hmm. And that led to an internship on Parliament Hill, which landed me in almost four years of employment with a member of parliament. And then from there, I went with to work with a provincial cabinet minister and then to running the UN Bureau for a pro-family NGO, a non-governmental organization in Canada, to where I now am with them still to this day, which is several years on. And I basically fight the UN, any of their anti-family agendas or anti-national sovereignty agendas as well, which there are many of those. I also 
uh, started up a organization called Vote Family. So there we inform voters on where politicians really stand on family issues. And because there's a lot of there's so many there's so many groups out there, to be honest, in Canada and elsewhere that they have links to the government. And they're very willing to lend of their time and their voice to kind of tout a certain party line. And that's not what Vote Family is. We are bipartisan. We're willing to look like we look past a lot of different things. Um, we're not connected to any specific political party because our main focus is promoting and supporting and defending the fundamental family and, and all its members from the youngest of age to the oldest. So that's that's where I'm at now. And I'm also helping host a little show, well, a little show, a show called Check the News and I'm, I'm loving it. So there's lots on the on the table right now, lots of moving pieces, but I, I really do enjoy governance and getting to inform people on what's actually happening as opposed to like the mainstream media mucks everything up. And I, uh, I, I'm very, very excited for what the future holds in my life, uh, personally and professionally. It's, it's always been for me very important to live by conviction and not just societal rules or I, I like to question everything because then you actually get to the nitty gritty uh, and, and the true motivation as to what's actually why people are promoting what they're promoting or why they're doing what they're doing, whether it's an individual or it's a government. So that's something politics taught me that has been very beneficial even in my personal life is that you have to continually push past the talking points that politicians will just throw your way because they think that you'll be satisfied with that. I'm never satisfied with talking points because uh, it's really just a guise. And so I, I've, I've greatly benefited personally from being in both government and dealing with politics because they're two very separate things and very different so that's a little bit about me um my my favorite thing in the world is family is my personal family um but i also love learning about how the family and how every member of the family has unique roles and today we're talking about women and children and I can't wait to be a wife and a mom one day. I, that's, that is like my dream job. I, everybody thinks that it's all about for me, the career to be this, you know, the whole like, yeah, girl, to, like toxic femininity is, is what I'm about. It, absolutely not. I'm like anti-feminist, to be honest. I appreciate what a lot of the OG feminists have had achieved for women, but there's a lot of things that have gone wrong because of second and third wave feminism. And that's what I deal with a lot at the United Nations are these second and third wave feminists who are actually fighting against the OG feminists at the UN who are slowly dying out. And, and it's very interesting to see, but we can get into that later. Um, but family is, is priority. And speaking the truth of the significance of not just family, but of marriage, of relationships, of consistency in an individual's life, all those things to my generation, to millennials and younger. I, I am very, very grateful that God has given me a platform to do that. And to even speak into spheres like at United Nations about the truth of what marriage or about family or whatever it might be, the significance of a mother staying home with her kids and people making those sacrifices to speak into spheres like United Nations or to politicians about that, when they hear from a younger woman in particular, 
that the next generation actually values these things. It makes them really think about promoting this so-called pro-woman, it's really a very feminist, anti-woman agenda. And so I, I'm very, I'm very grateful God's given me that kind of a platform to speak. And uh, yeah, so that's a little bit about me. Maybe not a little bit. That's a lot about me. Well, I was and just going to say, happy to answer any questions that you have. No, no, that's great. Uh, first of all, you're much taller on camera than you are in real life. I know that for sure. <laughs> Two, you're such uh, yes. a great interview. You're because you're media savvy. So tell us about the show and your media training up until this point. Like, where'd where'd you? Where'd you Where'd you hone your chops? Like, where, where'd you get trained to be so comfortable? Like, I, I know that you're comfortable behind a lectern giving speeches as well. So, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about the show and what led up to that media-wise as far as your training goes. To be honest, I, I have to point everybody to God on that one. I, I didn't really receive training. I went to, I took one class, per se, at the Leadership Institute in Arlington, Virginia. And I, I just took one media class and from there, I just, I just tried a bunch of things out. It was really funny. Actually, I, when I was working for, with the member, excuse me, with a member of parliament, I actually got put in charge of all of his social media. And I hate, I actually hate social media. I hate what it does to an individual. I hate what it does to society, but in my mind, I use it as a tool of communication. It's the new public sphere. And so for me, I go, okay, how can I utilize this for good? So I, I've just, I'm very observant. Ever since I was really little, I would never go play with my peers. I would always go sit at the adults table and look at how they present themselves, how they're conversing with one another. And then I did, I do, I did that with everything else in life from that point on since I was very young. So I never really took any kind of training. My first big TV interview was actually going live, forgive me for this, but live on CBC um, in Toronto. That was my first big thing. Ouch. I did two back-to-back -back, uh, live segments after the mm, conservative leadership race. And that was several years ago. It was when Brad Trost was running, when Andrew Shear won. Okay. That was So that was like two two leadership races ago, right. I believe now. And so very bizarre, but that was my first, I basically, anything that really challenges me or scares me, I like to dive head into because I know that there's, there's something within me that's going to grow and develop. And even if I fail, I would rather fail and learn something from it than wonder what if. So that's, that's how I got into media and doing this show. I, I actually love it. I love being behind the camera now. I, again, I used to hate it. And to this day, it's more so I have to keep it at the forefront of my thinking. I'm, I'm here to help people. Mm -hmm. And if I, if I have that and it's not really about me, right. then I'm good with it. Mm -hmm. I'm good with it. And, uh, and it's funny. I actually also help other people in, in media. So if a candidate, a political candidate, I'm an advisor, political advisor as well. So if a political candidate comes to me from United States and they're running for state representative or state Senate or wherever else, and they are, hey, I have no idea how to present myself on camera, then I will help them with that. So it, it's very funny because, again, it's all God because I couldn't come up with half of the things that half of the ideas or have the, half of the creativity that I have when it comes to informing people or doing it myself. So well, you mustn't have yeah. told, told the uh, 
the media line if you were never asked back to CBC after doing back-to-back interviews. I mean, they had you on for a reason. They thought you were a political pundit or uh, some sort of uh, analyst at, at some point, but to never have you back on, what happened? I mean, you, you've never been back on since, so what happened? Well, I I was actually working on Brad Trost's leadership campaign. So they had three young panelists from three different campaigns uh, on, okay. one from Maxim yep. Bernier's campaign. Right. He coincidentally has gone on to work with the CBC, which is very interesting. Who, Max? And Pardon? Oh, no, not Max, of course. No, okay, the young yeah. panelist who right. was okay. from his campaign. Gotcha. And then there was myself from Brad Trost's campaign and one other young woman from Michael Chong's campaign. And so we all got invited on before the results okay. and then after the results okay. the next day. And it was funny, the next the next leadership race, I was in Halifax and I believe it was Halifax. And there was like this huge convention, CPC convention going on and they wanted to have me back on. Oh, okay, and, good. <laughs> and the, the, the same three panelists okay. years later. So it was, I was actually interested and I was like, no as heck am i giving my voice am i gonna say i went on cbc again after because i was very naive the first time i went on and after that i was like holy crap i went on the cbc live twice i gave them airtime and then told people i went on cbc no no as heck am i, am I ever doing that again well, you so used i denied it. you could have used the opportunity to trash cbc in a state-funded media organization i mean you got to take every swing you can when you <laughs> You can, but I would rather do that for my Twitter account than through their cameras. Great to hear you trash CBC live on their airwaves. That'd be awesome. But anyway, totally would. What's done is done. No judgment. You know, you know. But I I denied them the opportunity to have me back on, and they had the two others on. That's fine. But yeah, I they would never have me back on. I highly doubt it. And if they ever did. It would be like other broadcasters who would just want to trash me by mm-hmm. coming on. So why give them the time of day? Who are you having on the show? What are the subjects? What do you talk about? Are you doing it solo or who are you doing it with? And what's it all about? Tell us a little bit more about the show. Yeah, so it's called Check the News. And it's actually with a ministry. So a big passion of mine is activating not just people in the church, but people of any faith denomination. So I'm I'm very passionate about that because it's a completely un tapped resource for politicians, but I'm not even doing it for Paul. I would never do it for politicians uh, or any political party. I do it so that people actually understand in the church what they're facing because so many politicians, whether in Canada, United States, elsewhere in the world, they use faith denominations. They use them and then abuse them and then they discard them until the next election. And that infuriates me. So I want people to stop being played. I have been used in the game of politics as a pawn and I hate the feeling of it. And then people in the church or in any kind of faith denomination, they go, well, what the heck? Like they promised me this during the election and then they've never delivered and they've actually gone against my, my personal freedoms as a person of faith. So check the news, doesn't just reach people of faith, but it's with a ministry. And it's really cool because it actually reaches out to so many different people online because we're sarcastic. I do it with this man, uh, a pastor actually, which is great because there's, he's so in tune with what's actually going on in the world. And his name's Jonathan Shuttlesworth. And it's really cool because we actually get to be sarcastic 
we, we, I am a little bit more reserved. He's more the comedic, uh, comedic, um, serious guy, but comedic guy, um, great sense of humor. And people are not used to Christians in particular being sarcastic or issuing some slams or commenting on people's appearances. Like we are human beings and we're going to be human beings and show the world that you can be cool and you can be a Christian because being a Christian is pretty based. So that's what I do uh, with this show. And I host by myself and then I do co-hosting some nights um, when he's back in town. So yeah, that's a little bit about that. You're talking about, you know, making fun of people and being fun. It sounds like my show a lot of the time. Yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. What are you hitting on? Uh, What are you currently working on and backing as far as policy? What are you seeing that's really tweaking you worldwide right now and in regards to and i told you you know thanks for telling us all about what you've been doing and what you're up to in the show but you know what we're here to talk about today is your pet you know women and children issues and Mm -hmm. you know it, it occurs for me you know even never being married or having children that the my motivation comes from all of the masking and all the lockdowns and everything was were about the kids i i got by there was no trouble with me yeah a lot of people didn't a lot of people lost their lives because they were hopeless a lot of people fell back into the bottle or back to drugs and then killed themselves with that you know so yeah. there there are people that paid the price i didn't uh, you know i escaped the country before they they locked us down with the travel travel right. for the vaccinated Never did I ever think that I would leave my country. This wasn't a huge dream of mine to live on the beach. It, no, it mm-hmm. just happened to be an opportunity that I pursued. So what do you work in? I say all that to say, you know, I'm motivated because the children are our future and I love them. Mm-hmm. You know, at the church, I just love looking after them. And when we left the, the quarantines and the lockdowns and all this isolation, I went back with my, and they're preschoolers, right? They're three and four year olds, or, you know, two, three and four, I think. And when they came back in with masks, it just tore my heart out. Like, it, you know, I was glad to be back with them. And, you know, I had a little bit of politics with the church because, you know, I say unkind mm-hmm. things sometimes. I get angry. All my broadcasts are angry because I, I, I have the kids in mind. And they're actually, some of the church were, well, I don't know. I want to leave my kid with that guy. Well, there's nobody that loves that, the kids like that guy. And, it, you yeah. know, if they knew how much the kids meant to me coming out of this lockdown, they wouldn't. They would never have insisted that I get ripped out of there. So they're, they're my motivation, even though I don't have any. So what are the issues that are tweaking you now? What are you bringing forward? What are you fighting for when it comes to women and children's issues? Start with the kids. Yeah, start with the kids. Okay, so one thing that I am incredibly passionate about, and it's very controversial for some reason, I actually don't understand why it's so controversial, but it's abortion. And that is one of the primary things that I am personally fighting, both on an international level and on a national slash state slash province slash local level on every level of governance. And so fighting abortion is a major thing because it actually it, it harms women and it har- it kills children. And over the course of I was warning people from the beginning of the so-called pandemic and all the lockdowns that there the major push at the Commission on the Status of Women at the United Nations. It's the world's largest feminist conference that I attend. They were pushing the year before COVID came for telemedicine 
or teleabortion. So to send abortion pills to women and make that government funded across the world. And so whatever jurisdiction that portion of healthcare would fall under. So for me, I saw that this was kind of strategic in a certain way that the world was moving in this in this direction of telemedicine, which can be very beneficial for people, but at the same time, COVID really exasperated that element. So fighting that for me is really important because it leaves women very vulnerable to complications as well as, as killing children. And that and abortion itself, it seems very abstract, but it's very intimate. And, and it can it can wreck marriages, it can wreck relationships, it harms families in a very intimate way that people aren't really willing to talk about externally outside of the four walls of their homes. And mo- even for women, most often, and men actually, when an abortion occurs with his, with his partner, with his girlfriend, with his wife, even with a man's sister or mother, it, it impacts people on a very deep level. So for me, Standing, taking a very strong stand against that is absolutely key. In Canada, I am talking with different people about bringing forward policy within different political parties to in, encourage, I guess, legislation or policies to come forward out of any political party with regards to adoption. So cross province adoption would be incredible because that would help not only the system, but it would also, and which means help taxpayers, it would be less cost to them, but it also means that families, children would be able to go into families faster and that would be of incredible benefit. Now on the international level, again, fighting abortion, but also taking a very strong stand against COVID policies has been something I've been doing for ever since COVID was a thing and making sure that this kind of stuff, the masking, the very deceptive language being used in schools, schools with regards to targeting children to get vaxxed amongst various other things is very important to me. And lastly, I'll bring up about children is the whole LGBTQ2 plus whatever, whatever, whatever letters and numbers you want to add on to that. Making sure that children are protected, at least in schools, from that kind of indoctrination, because it is indoctrination, it is propaganda. And so for me, that's that is a, a global thing that I am helping other people with that I am personally speaking out against because and especially when it comes to to girls. I it's very devastating to see, especially when it comes to the transgender issue. The majority of children transitioning are children are girls. And it's it's a very interesting, intricate breakdown. But essentially, a lot of girls want more so than guys at a young age to climb a, a hierarchy, a hierarchical structure that we as human beings kind of implement ourselves at a very young age. And one way that they want to set themselves apart from everyone else is to become a lesbian or to become queer. And then what what does one achieve when half the class, half the girls in a class become come out as lesbians at, in grade four? Well, then the next step is to become a transgender child. And so then the parents start a whole, oh, my child feels like a boy and is trapped in a girl's body. And so they will begin that that initiation process of transitioning their children. So for me, that's that's a huge, huge piece because 
when I'm looking at the abortion issue and who specifically Canada funds, Planned Parenthood International, for example, several years ago, I was trying to warn people that the abortion industry is they're driven by money. It's a business, right? It's a whole industry in and of itself. And they see this, this new market that they can tap into, and that is children transitioning. And so a lot of the Planned Parenthoods, not only in the United States and elsewhere in the world, but especially like, especially in, in like the UK, Africa, Europe, and, and even in the United States with local Planned Parenthoods, they are now offering hormone injections for children. So for me, that's that's a big thing because not only do they want to kill your children and, and label it as some sort of woman's right or woman's choice, but they also want to provide your children with the ability to be castrated or their hormones completely shot and never be able to have children themselves or to live with great like an insane level of depression and which leads to, to suicide. The, the levels of suicide in children who who come out as trans and can and continue on in that process is is insane. So those are those are some of the major things that I'm dealing with with regards to to kids at this point in time. Cool. And how are you finding your success at making inroads at the UN? I mean, we've heard so much about the body and you know, how corrupt they are, and I'm surprised you have anything to do with it at all. But so how is your success being at, at affecting change inside the organization? Are you working towards that? And if so, have you had any effect? Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Every single commission that I go to, whether it's the commission, the major ones that I go to is the Commission on the Status of Women, as well as the Commission on Population and Development, which this the former is is very pro-abortion that's that's their main thing um but it's also turned into like gender equality and gender equity and gender equity is the major one they pushed this year which we just wrapped up last week for that commission and then the next commission is basically it used to be the population control commission so that that was like the literal name so that one again is abortion and it's very fascinating to see the conversations that are had now everything is is now online so censorship of any kind of dissenting voices is so much easier for the un to initiate and so for me last year i was kicked out of the un's commission on the status of women for agreeing with someone in a comment section about sex selective abortion at a a so-called feminist commission that baby girls should not be killed just because they're baby girls and so that was a very interesting commission. We had a lot of shenanigans there, but this year, um, and, and also I will actually say before I move on, that last commission last year where I was kicked out actually got us some, some media attention. So it started a greater conversation external of the United Nations because of what happened internally. And then this year, the commission was just wacko but there were some really good conversations that were we were able to have with whether it was delegates or it was other people from different groups advocating for whatever they were so-called feminist rights so we are making some inroads 
it's more so about targeting the delegates from different member states, which are different governments represented at the UN. So there's 193 different governments and we're making, we're having success on some air in some areas, but the UN is so deceptive in how they go about promoting different language for what we call outcome documents that different governments are falling for the propaganda. So we've had a lot of success up to this point. The major issue now is not so much the abortion issue, which is it's, it's so big. I mean, the WHO just came out and said that that no term limits should be placed upon abortion. So if you are on the ninth month giving birth, your baby should be able to have its neck snipped, basically, um, amongst various other things that it's doing. But one of the major things now for them again because of the new market that is opened through transgender you know having creating transgender children is that of the comprehensive sexuality education that we're seeing the curriculums that are being promoted into schools via the un so that's one of the major things that we're actually having a lot of success in with regards to you dealing with people at the un and it's very bizarre the, the the people that we're actually having inroads with, which are again the OG feminists, because they hate what they're seeing. And these are these are older women, and they can actually see the error of their ways, and the, and where the second and third wave feminists are taking them, and taking us as a society. So we are having success. There's there's some really the intersectionality factor of it all is what kind of gets countries like, oh yes, we want to make sure that we are gonna be climate neutral, uh, carbon neutral in X amount of years. And so with, with regards to signing on to specific documents coming out of the UN, some of those documents, actually a lot of them actually say that, you know, like abortion is a human right. And just when you sign on to, we wanna be carbon neutral, we're signing on to abortion is a human right, even though we as a nation don't believe that. Mm -hmm. So it, the intersectionality of these documents and the intersectionality of these commissions, like this past CSW, was yes, it was all about feminism, but it and, and gender equality and gender equity. But they made it so that it was also about climate change and how we need to make sure that in, in like humanitarian crises, where there's like a global, it's like there's a flood or there's a drought that women can still access abortion and that children can still have comprehensive sexuality education, which promotes abortion and promotes transgenderism and all these other whacked out things. So that's we're having inroads, but at the same time, the, the threat level coming out of the UN is still very high. And that's something that people need to be aware of, because anything that happens at the UN, you know, there's a saying where people in North America will basically experience what they're promoting in Europe three to five years out. Right. Well, anything coming out of the United Nations in Geneva or uh, in New York, mm -hmm. specifically New York is only about two to three years out from you being right. a major in the, the totality of society in North mm -hmm. America. So gotcha. that's what is going on on that front. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's very interesting to watch because I haven't seen such intensity around the intersectional intersectionality aspect of UN politics in a very, very long time. 
Tell us a little bit about feminism, your thoughts on it, and the specifically the OG feminists, and maybe your favorite ones. And please say Megan Murphy's on that list. I just I got all the time in the world for that woman. She's, she used to call herself a radical feminist. I think she just toned that back. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure she escaped from Canada and, and is now living in Mexico. But I've interviewed her a couple times, and she's just so real. And, you know, I used to call myself a feminist back in the day when I thought that women were being oppressed and they needed a, yeah. they needed special treatment and a, and a lift up to be more equal with men before I realized that all this gender pay gap and this oppression talk was basically nonsense. And, yeah. you know, most, not most, but a lot of good, strong women, I don't need your help. And now we're, it's gone so far that you hold a door for someone and they're like, you don't need to do that. I'm like, dude, I still get the car for door for my niece. I get the car door oh. for my mother. Sometimes I get the car door for my clients, whether they're men or women, you know, like it's just, it's, it's manners. So tell us about your thoughts on, you know, OG feminism, maybe some of your, you, you know, the people that you admire in that movement and now what it's become and how it's perverted society or the minds of the easily corrupted, maybe we could say. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I think for a lot of people, feminism is still this idea that because we're, we've now moved into this culture where victimhood, victimhood is basically so praised and it, it puts you on a pedestal in society Indeed. that people claim to be feminists, women in particular, because they want to be under some sort of oppression so that they can climb some, some hierarchy in society. And I think that's really toxic. Actually, I know it's really toxic because I know some of these women mm -hmm. who who take on the so-called boss babe mentality. Yeah, well, and they're chirping about toxic masculinity. They're practicing toxic feminism. Toxic. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And and both femininity and masculinity are incredibly beneficial to the individual and to society in whole. So anything anything good is always going to have the potential to be perverted, and that's what feminism is is now anyway so some of the the og feminists i can't name their names because they are <laughs> at the un <laughs> so um any kind of work with me or any kind of even conversation with me or anybody in my pro-family coalition would be very bad for them um but someone someone like for example jk rowling um i actually i don't agree with a lot like with some of the things she does or says but she has taken a real strong stand for women, like biological. I even say biological females because female is based upon biology. So females and against the whole getting your child castrated, having their healthy bodies mutilated and injecting them with hormones to become transgender. She's she's come out very strongly against that. And so that's that's the one I can point to that most basically everybody knows. And, you know, with regards to feminism, it's taken a lot of women out of the home. And this is where it's very interesting to me. A lot of the older feminists have realized the significance. They fought so that they could have the opportunity to work outside of their home and not be discriminated against. But it's gone so far now where women aren't getting married and they're they're cohabitating and with their partners. And this is very praised in our society. But the, the worst thing for me that feminism has done comes out of conversations I have had with 
feminist second, like the, on the tail end of the OG feminist movement, but also like second wave feminists. And they're getting, they're getting into the, the age group now where they're, they're hurting inside because they, they've lived that boss babe life and they hate the life that they have because they don't come home to anyone. They have nothing to look forward to outside of their job. They haven't cultivated a strong community. They don't really have community outside of their drinking companions and the, the men that they might bring home every once in a while when they're on a plane. But like, so, so for me, that's, that's really devastating because they, they're in their forties, some of them forties, fifties, and they're like, what do I have in life now? Mm-hmm. Like, what legacy am I going to leave? Right. I don't even, I'm not going to have grandchildren. So there's, there's this real deep, immense sense of loss almost and grief that these women carry with them on a daily basis. Almost without knowing. Yeah. Some of them don't even know what's going on. They become cat ladies and then they don't, they don't even know what's, uh, what's wrong. Like, I mean, for so many women, and it's okay to say this, it's not sexist. Like the most important thing in their life is to get married and have children. You know, yeah. I mean, for many men it is too, but not, they don't have that biological need to give birth, you know, like women do. And once they lose out on that chance, I think they just live in bitterness. It's true. It's true. I've met these women and they've said based almost the same thing as you just stated. It, it is this deep remorse. Like it's it, like I say grief because they know that they never have that gift, that blessing that they can go back and, and take part in. And so for me, trying to communicate with the next generation that, hey, you're being sold a lie, that career is everything, and that there, there's this toxic feminism, uh, femininity, excuse me, that's labeled as pro-woman or feminism that is extremely deceptive. And I want people to be aware of it. Like women my age who are in their 20s, they're, they're, they're buying the lie. But at the same time, what's really bizarre is also I talk to a lot of these women, primarily on social media, but sometimes I get to in real life now because the world, you know, the gig is up, the COVID gig is up. And these young women, they want to be married. They want to have kids. They want to live that life, but they don't they don't see society praising that. So there's this almost internal conflict. They So they almost need people to say, like Ali Beth Stuckey, for example, like, hey, getting married is a good thing. Like they need people in the general society to be praising that. And for someone like me even, I, when I was working in government, it was like, ew, you wanna get married? Like you could be a feminist. And so, <laughs> and like climb and be super ew. successful. And to be honest, I was I was 20. So I started contemplating like, oh, they almost I got see you. her, she's a feminist mm-hmm. and she's she's getting promoted. Like I could totally, and as an observer, someone who right. observes people, I'm like, ah, I could totally say that online. I could totally say that in a meeting, mm-hmm. get the praise and then get the promotion one after the other, other. But I knew at the end of the day, after some like real struggle and contemplation, to be honest, right. and I can't imagine as someone who is going to public school and being fed this lie in their classrooms and then in social media and then in entertainment and everywhere else, every other factor in, in society. I can't even imagine them trying to fight this. But for me, it was like, okay, I have to, I have to draw a line and I would feel like I'm actually going against something so internal within me that I, I can't do this. So then at that point I had already looked into, okay, what are the feminist talking points? I want to understand what they believe. Right. And it just didn't sit with me. 
even though I knew that I could climb this this ladder to higher promotion promotion and name recognition, but I knew that I would like the there's a, a verse says that what good is it to to sell your soul to the world but like you lose yourself like what good is it to gain the whole world right and lose all that you are and so sorry go ahead no no i was just saying what you sell yourself to the world and then you lose yourself as a result of it yeah exactly and i knew that would be like the greatest betrayal so I thought, okay, I'm actually going to take a stand against this and figure out how I can take a stand against this. Because if I'm dealing with this in government, I can't imagine what high schoolers are dealing with. So that's, that's a little bit of my, my, my view of feminism. I think it's toxic. (laughs) I think that it's achieved a few good things. Mm -hmm. Um, but truly it is very toxic. I actually, a friend of mine pulled up a map in the United States, for example, and he showed me the what it would have looked like in the last election if women hadn't voted or weren't able to vote. And it was like <laughs> conservative across the board. And that sealed it for me. And I went, you know what? There's a lot of there's actually some not great conservative policies out there. A lot because of stuff happened after we gave the women the vote. I'll, I'll tell you that. True. And I'm all for equal like rights true. and everything. But you know what? Women were happy to have the man carry the family's vote into the voting booth. You know, so I mean, the, 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 those were different times. Anyways, I don't want to. Uh, totally talk. different society, yeah, but yeah. I, I see what you mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, tell us what makes you hopeful. Try and give us and, and the, the viewers and listeners um, something that you're seeing progress for lack of progress has all, already become a filthy word, but progress that you're making that we're going to be okay. These are some dark days for guys like me anyways, that just seem to be hopeless by, you know, people that just so easily buy into the masks and all of a sudden put up the Ukraine flag and, you know, without even knowing anything about it and take the shot without even, you know, and giving the kids the shot. I mean, it's just, you know, I get heartbroken and, and feel so hopeless because it feels like so many people have just fallen into the lie they bought into it and they comply no matter what so what are you seeing that gives you hope and and how can you give a guy like me or the people that watch the show a little bit of hope what are you seeing <laughs> oh i'm seeing actually i'm actually seeing a lot okay good one example is is the whole leah thomas fiasco yeah, so it's really bringing tried... things to the forefront i mean it's really started a conversation that we need to have and and yeah. you know it, it, the radicals are going to stay where they are but this is you know and steven crowder has been doing this biological man and well, why do we have to devo- define it biological man you know like a uh, man is biology it's based in biology but he just his latest um uh, changed my mind was biological men should not compete in women's sports like I'm surprised that more feminists aren't trying to protect it. Like when men that have not gone through a complete transition as far as, you know, getting their parts changed or changing with women and, you know, that's and girls like, I can't believe that there's not more women standing up for their own spaces, their own sports and saying, no, no, she's a she and she should be able to compete. No, no. Even if you transition before puberty, you still had testosterone in the womb. You've got all the benefits from it. And I, you know, this whole transition before puberty, you can't get a, can't get a sex change. You can't get a, a tattoo until you're 16 years old, but 
You know, mm-hmm. there's kids being transitioned at way before puberty, and that that breaks my heart. Anyway, I don't want to get there. We're trying to stay hopeful here. <laughs> well, and and that's the thing. Like, there's so many. I, I there's the mainstream media, right? Which is like the higher echelon of of who gets the airwaves, right? But then there's the grassroots. And for me, that's where I'm seeing the most activation, where parents are actually now going to school board meetings. You know, it used to be a very regular occurrence for people to engage with their local city council or their kids' school board. And that died off dramatically for decades. But now there's like this resurrection uh, within this, within these, these local municipalities, within the school system and in the government and for for these spaces to be protected for for women for girls for for kids for athletes and that's something that is beautiful for me to see i have tried for years to get people activated on the local level because everybody's so focused on the national and i think because it's it feels so far away but the local stuff is like oh my gosh it's in my community people are going to know if i go talk at this board meeting etc but there's actually a beauty a, a real untapped beauty that people are starting to realize in that because when people actually see you taking a stand it encourages them to take a stand too and and it's not you taking a stand on a national level where you feel you then feel far away from everybody but your neighbors see you and and that's that's something that's really cool for me to see in Canada and in the United States even in the UK and elsewhere in Europe people are just fed up and i think that's something that is good actually that came out of all this covid crap is that people actually got activated in meaningful ways and so that's one thing i am seeing especially on the the transition issue or with regards to our kids' education, especially with our kids' education even, that's another thing. Um, It's not just protecting spaces like uh, different athletic leagues from males competing in female arenas, but also from what's being taught in the classrooms, like we just saw in Florida. Like, oh my gosh, the Parental Rights and Education Act was passed, and people are saying it's, it's it's the don't say gay bill, and I'm like, stop it have you and even the, read the, the bill like nobody said that it's not in the bill desantis never said that what is the problem with with why do these people want to sexualize children so much like i mean all all desantis's bill and i agree completely with it and i've been saying this for a long time before this bill stop talking to our kids our young children about sex they one yeah. they don't care about sex so just leave them out of it. When they start asking questions, it's up to the parents to kind of describe the birds and the bees story to them and when that's appropriate. Yes. But don't they don't care about sex. They're like, ooh, girls. And we were saying, ooh, girls, right up until, I, I don't know, well, maybe I think the boys start, you know, having an interest in girls before the girls start having an interest in boys, yes. obviously, because of the hormones. Yeah. But this this is ridiculous. And we see guys like Ron Perlman talk about an ugly creature coming out and and just the filthy words. And hey, I, I, I have a filthy mouth and I don't use it here because I respect the people I'm talking to. And, but normally, like I let it fly. And it, but just to to come out there with the sales job. And then to call yeah. Ron DeSantis all these things that he does not stand for, it's shocking yeah. to me that th- so many people could be duped. Like, they've been duped. They've been sold. And they're well, just so easily the left. interesting thing is, though, interesting thing for me on that front is it's all these very leftist uh, organizations, again, the media and politicians who the media gives airtime to, they're the ones touting this line. 
But when you look at data coming out, like I think it was NBC or MSNBC, they were talking about the people who actually saw past the the don't say gay aspect of the bill, which again, nowhere in the bill does it talk about right. even the word gay. No. But parents and, and general the general populace sees past these talking points and they actually mm-hmm. understand, no, this is an anti-grooming bill. Mm-hmm. This is a good thing. So when you look at the data, people see past that. Same with the whole Russia-Ukraine issue. Oh my gosh, there was like Biden has royally screwed up. He was counting on the war in Russia and Ukraine to to cover for his stupidity with regards to policy. Mm-hmm. So he was counting, he's putting like, I'm going full bang on, on the Russia war to make sure that it covers up for my inflation numbers and everything else going wrong at home. Well, people, I think it was only like 13% actually believe that inflation is due and high raise it like uh, prices, prices across the board. Right. Yeah, is due to Russia, Ooh, Ukraine. Right. The other percentage believes that either like there's like a very small, I think I don't remember if it's 6% or whatever percent it was. It's very low. wasn't sure. But the rest of that percentage was all about, oh my gosh, no, this is because of Biden. So people are seeing past. And I think that's because of COVID. People actually had to think. Mm, and that that's that's amazing to me. Like I've never seen numbers like that. So for me personally, those are some really good things. And uh, even out of UK, I'll point over there as well, because this is this is a global trend um, that is happening, especially with regards to the trans issue. A lot of the kids that were transitioned by their parents are now suing the parents. Not that mm-hmm. I want, I don't want families in disarray whatsoever. I fight for families. But the fact that these kids are coming out and telling their stories of how horrific their transition has been on their mental, physical, spiritual health, it's going to prevent other kids and it is preventing other kids from going down the same road or at least putting it off, delaying the procedures farther and farther into the future because they don't want to experience what these these other people have experienced through the same experience for lack of repeating the same word over and over again. Um, so that, those are some things that I'm really grateful for. Um, also, I'll leave it with this last one. Um, because literally I could go on and on and on because there's, there actually wow. is so much good happening. Me, you know what? I'd um, love to see that as a Twitter thread. Maybe you could uh, concentrate on putting your thoughts down. Oh, maybe down I should. Just saying, maybe you know I should what? do and that. And here's the That's evidence. You know, we do have cause to be hopeful. And I'd love to see that because there's so much of it right now and people need hope, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, so I'll leave it with this. I saw a tweet come out and I went and, and corroborated it. So I know it's it's fact. And way, way back in like decades ago, the percentage of of individuals who are homeschooling their kids were very, very like it was is menial because uh, public school is is a new invention, contrary to our belief, um, because we've lived with it our entire lives doesn't mean right. the totality of history. It's actually very new. Mm-hmm. And it's actually one of the main things communists always wanted to have. So I'll really? throw that out there. But um, it's very interesting to see that millions of people have now chosen to homeschool their kids mm-hmm. and and not just one child, but all children in their families. And it's, it's the percentage has never been this high in decades. So we've actually gone past, surpassed the, the decades old stats as to how many people were going to be homeschooling their kids. And 
in the United States anyway, I can point to a lot of states are now adopting pro, I was going to say pro-choice, um, not pro-choice, everybody will, will misconstrue that in their mind, but with the, in the context of school choice uh, bills so that people can actually have those funds to stay home with their kids and raise them according to how what they want to learn and how they want them to learn. So th- those are huge, huge benefits to families, to communities, uh, to the taxpayers, to the society at whole. And so those those are some of the things that I'm I'm actually really excited about seeing how they play out into the future, because less indoctrinated children uh, are going to have greater futures than those who are indoctrinated and just go along with the system. I appreciate it. Fifty minutes just blew by. I want to keep you on time. I know you're busy. So on the way, I can't believe. Well, as usual, dang, that was fifty minutes. Yeah, what? As usual, God Jeez. comes last. Well, I don't mean like He comes last in these conversations because there's so many. I want to get to real life issues, and I want to pick your brain on what's going on, what you're doing, where you're been. I, I care about like your health and how you're feeling and stuff like that. So thanks for getting us clear on that. We got to shift to the God thing. Like the destruction of the traditional family, I think fatherlessness is one of the greatest uh, root causes of, well, maybe you could say it's godlessness. I don't know. But to me, you know, young boys are being mentored by gangs in the States, you know, in the 60s or whenever it was, they stopped giving welfare to mothers with men in the home. So they get rid of the men. And now, you know, 85% of the black community grow up without fathers. It's killing them, literally. Literally. And so... Uh, tell us a little bit about your journey and how you've been successful at, you know, and my father used to call them Bible thumpers. Man, my growth in my faith has been unbelievable the last 10, 15 years. Um, I'm still a horrible Christian. Like, I, 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 I'm not a very good one. I say that tongue in cheek because, you know, I try at least, but um you know, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't resemble Jesus very well when I do my talk shows or whatever, and because I'm so passionate. And yeah, well, Jesus flipped the tables and fashioned a whip. So, anyways, talk to us about God and the failure that we're experiencing now. Because, well, we killed God, God, right? Nietzsche said we would pay with blood, and wow. we've seen the bloodiest century. Uh, following the death of God that, you know, the death of, I know we actually yeah. killed God at one point, but we figuratively, right. we killed him out of society. And yeah. it, it's, it's, it seems to go hand in hand with the death of the traditional family with man, Absolutely. woman, and wife. You know, nobody talks about the fact, well, first we don't talk about killing children. We did tonight, but we don't talk about the fact that the most successful setup for children is man and wife in the home. Absolutely. Like, and that's almost oh, like data globally that's hate proves speech that. nowadays, you know, so talk yeah. to us a little bit about Christianity, your walk with it and and how you see how you can give us hope by seeing it, you know, staying alive for as long as it has, despite the fact <laughs> yeah. that we figuratively killed it out of schools and whatnot. Churches are suffering yeah. right now. It's a tough time for churches. And is it, you know what, the main thing for me, one of the main things that annoyed me so much over COVID was the lack of the lack of conviction of faith from from people of faith during during COVID and the the warped ideas that people now have as to what is loving your neighbor and what is to actually serve God. And people have gotten so comfortable in sin that they, they fall under this this comfy grace kind of message that they can continually sin 
and not live a holy life. And then they, they, they will somehow to get to heaven that way. So that those are some of the things that actually kind of annoy me, but, and have been things that I've had to work on because I went like, holy crap, I kind of, I need to live holy, especially in these days. Like I read, I was reading through revelation and I'm like, what the heck we're living in, yeah. like living in Isn't revelation. Like stuff is happening. It's weird, man. Like what is going on? Like even the book of Daniel and Isaiah. And I'm like, things are heating up. If there's ever a time to get right with God, it's now. But I think a lot for, to, to bring this into, for people to understand on a very personal level, it's, what are we what we're seeing in society for example with regards to we've talked a lot about the trans issue or the lgbtqi issue and so on for me it's because there's no absolutes anymore in society and that's what faith brings a lot to the table to society in general we're not looking for everybody to convert to christianity though i'd love it because there's a lot of freedom i i have been happy throughout the pandemic i have had joy that i've been able to help others and not suffer yeah i've dealt with hard times but i've had joy through them and that's because of what i have with god it's a personal relationship but i believe what we're seeing in society today is because like the the carnage that we're seeing the the destruction of family the destruction of values destruction of society even in general uh is because there's no more absolutes in the world there's no absolute goods there's no absolute bads there's no absolute evil and so what does that produce for the individual in society well it means that what's good for you doesn't mean it's good for me you know you you harming a child well maybe that's beneficial to you but it's not beneficial to me so i'm going to say that's bad for me but that's okay for you like you do you that whole mentality it's not serving the people well and so i think on a very broad level people are going to start waking up and and for me anyway people people are waking up i've seen it personally uh almost like this this light bulb goes off in their mind and they go oh my gosh what has happened in society oh gosh like you said, we kill God or we got God out of the schools. We got God out of the general entertainment. We've, we've gone so far down the path of promoting such an a, a, other gods because everybody within the inner person of every individual, we want to worship and serve something. So whether you're going to serve alcohol, you're going to serve uh, whatever it might be any kind of substance abuse, any kind of uh, sexual temptation, wh whatever it might be for, for everybody, everybody's tempted in a different way. Um, but again, nothing's new under the sun. So for me to tell people like there, there are absolutes, it's like it breaks something for people like, oh my gosh, yeah, there actually is. Like I've, I've gone through from kindergarten all through university and college and been told there's no absolutes and my life is a wreck people's lives are a wreck that went to school with me. But when people grasp, ah, somebody actually believes a young person, uh, a, a person who worked in government, a person who heck might like talks to my mom or my dad, like regardless of your position in life, I, I don't know if that really means too much. Maybe it does. I, I don't really know, but to, for somebody to say, you know what, you can do better than you're doing right now. And I've been able, I guess it does. I, I'm, I'm thinking through this now that we're talking about it. When I talk to people that I'm a Christian who goes to fight for, for all the things that I do at the United Nations, and I'm able to continually go there with a smile on my face, even though it's hard, it's because, and that's because of God, uh, that actually has touched people. 
before in, in ways that maybe I can't necessarily express here today, but people are impacted by that. And for people searching for hope, I think for, for people to see that someone is actually still smiling at the end of all, even these last two, two and a half years, um, I think that can touch people because I'm actually a very negative person. I'm a very negative person and people would never pick up on that. I used to be so like me, not mean, um, internally, I would be saying things about other people that were very mean and I would never say them out loud. Um, I don't even have those thoughts anymore. Thank God. But because I'd probably be speaking them today, um, (laughs) with who I am and how I am, but because I have submitted my life to God, I, I have seen absolute transformation. It doesn't mean, I mean, the word of God says that you are going to have hardship in this world, but to be of good cheer because he is, or like Jesus has already overcome the world. And so for me, I don't have to rely on my own strength on the days where it's like, holy crap, I have to go and talk with so-and-so about stop killing people or stop killing children. Um, I don't want to necessarily do that today, but I get to rely on the strength that's within me because of what Jesus did on the cross. I get to rely on that. And that gives me a level of peace, a level of joy and the ability to be led and directed in a way that's actually going to touch that person's heart more so than me just going in my own strength and trying to advocate for, for my beliefs. Uh, Like God's spirit ministers through me to that person who would otherwise be very hostile. And I've seen, I've seen that on multiple occasions, to be honest, where you walk into a room and people want to talk to you, even though they, they feel like they're supposed to hate your guts and you get to have an inroad with them on issues that are very, very controversial. And, um, you know, it's something that people have commented to me before that they like about me, even though they, they don't believe what I believe in is that I can enter a room and, and it's not me. It's, it's the spirit of God in me. And I'm not afraid to say that because I have Holy Spirit with me. It's not some abstract being that I I tap into when I need him. He's always with me because I have cultivated that personal deep relationship with him. And I wish, I wish people, I really wish people would come into that understanding that that's who, like God craves, he desires to have that intimacy with you. And when you actually say yes to it, the world tells you that you're, you're going to give up so much serving God. But <laughs> I think we need to get better at showing people there's so much to gain from serving God. Because I still have a smile on my face and I see the beauty in the world still. I see, I see people as, as good and, and not like we all, like, not innately good, but I'm able to see people like the, the the actual people, not the facade, and and talk to people in a way that that's not demeaning or like so many people my age in politics um, are very demeaning, very rude, very condescending, and that's no 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 not you. We're not the same age, dude. <laughs> There's a little bit of an age gap, I think. Um, you're allowed. You have more allowances than I do, um, but. I think, I think it is something that I, I really, I love serving God. I just wish people, I wish with my life to emulate 
the freedom that comes from serving God and the joy that comes in it too. It's, it's, it's not a hard road to walk. It's a freeing road. You know, I gave up a lot of different opportunities in life to do what I'm doing now. And it's only because of God that I am here and I'm still here. And yeah, without me continuing on, I could break about my God for a long time because he, he not only saved my life, uh, and made a way for me to go to heaven, but he literally saved my life because I, I would be dead if it wasn't for him. I, I would be dead. And um, to know that I get to live another day is pretty, pretty. Um, wow. I think I saw you choke up a little bit there. Just on the way out. Yeah, sorry. Um, I love your passion. Uh, you're articulate and always engaging. I really appreciate your time. Uh, just on the way out for the hopeless. We give us a, a you know, a, a three step process for getting right maybe god's included god has to be included in the conversation but you know for the ones that are just hanging on barely that are feeling like there's no way they can dig themselves out of this rut man i'm waiting for this uh i think there's a lot of us that feel hopeless you know because it's been a tough couple years and you know some of us don't see the light at the end of the tunnel so just on the way out i want to thank you for your time number one and just, yeah, give us a, a quick logistical one, two, three of your advice as to, like, if you're down in the gutter, here's what to do. One, I have been in the gutter. So I know I know the, the, the dark places your mind can go. And I know that those thoughts are not of God. They're not of your creator. And that your creator has something so much better for you. Um, so in terms of logistics, I, I personally, I tried everything. Um, I had major eating disorders. I, I'll just tell everybody, I've, I've basically never talked about this, but I think it's time. Um, I had such major eating disorders that I basically almost died on several occasions because of them. And if it wasn't for Jesus, uh, I, I mean, I tried different, I tried different programs. I tried self-will. I tried self-discipline. I tried everything. And it only led to further destruction, to be honest. And it wasn't until I went, you know what? I'm just going to like, screw it. I'm just going to get on my knees and I'm actually going to serve God. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to actually meditate on it. And, and for me, everything's visual, right? right? So I would take those thoughts, whether it was about myself or about something negative that happened to me that would trigger me for something. Mm -hmm. I would literally visualize myself taking those thoughts, taking what the word of God says, covering it and putting that back into my mind. Mm -hmm. And every time I would do that, it was a physical representation that my thoughts are not, they're not going to be my own thoughts. They're going to be thoughts of above. And I'm going to think on good things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the hardest things, even, even for people in the world today, because of the heaviness and the oppression that right. has been, mm -hmm. um, to not, to, the word says to think on things above, things that are good, things that are true, things that are righteous. Think on those things. If you have to write those things out, if you're not, if you are like deep in the gutter, I know, you know what that's like too. Um, write down, if you can only think of one thing, I get to wake up today and, and experience God's grace, experience God's mercy and walk in that. If that's the only thing I get to breathe today, my breath is a gift from God. When you start making those conscious decisions to change your thought patterns, uh, to think on the things above and the things that are really good, even the most basic of things, 
that actually has some of the most dramatic impacts on your life. Um, but for me, I literally have my Bible right here. It's, it's a little bit beat up and bruised or whatever, but, um, turn to this. I, I've never, I've never been that person who, uh, I've always been the political person, but I'm, I've become so passionate about my faith and about my relationship with God that start reading John, start reading Romans, start there, just start with like one chapter a day. I don't care if it's a verse a day, start with something because those are seeds and, and be very careful. That's one, one more thing that I'll leave with you. Be very careful what you put in front of your eyes. Mm. If you have to step away from the news, uh, music Social is a media. huge thing, yeah. regardless of your age, step away from anything that is not good, anything that's not pure, anything that's not true or righteous. And you will see it, it's discipline. You have to put your flesh under and and it feels horrible at the beginning, but that's when you actually start to see, yeah, there might be a light at the end of the tunnel. And then you move from that. There might be, then there's like, yeah, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And then you'll start to experience that light. And I can guarantee you as someone who has battled addiction or um, I, I no longer see myself as an addict, I don't have to say, you know what, I, I'm a recovering addict. I'm a recovering this for X amount of years. I don't have to live. I don't live that life anymore. Um, and, and that I, those, that victimhood mentality gets pushed out of your brain and you get to live as more than a conqueror. You get to live in joy. Um, even on the days that you don't feel it, you, you get to, you get to live in it. And that's something that's, it, it's so worth it. You guys, it's so worth it. And I, I really hope Again, Romans and John, that's what you need to read from this book and it will change your life. I promise you. Wow. I just want to tell you your face lit up. Your whole state changed. You looked down and you said, I guarantee and your state changed. So I appreciate your conviction. I appreciate your time. I love you. You're a good woman. You're a great woman. And I really appreciate the time that you've, you've, been generous with with me you know what i mean because i think i learn a lot from you i get caught up with what you're you're doing it makes time for us like you know why waste a phone call when i can have you on zoom and share it with the world nice right so that's awesome i really uh yeah i really appreciate your time and generosity that way and what you're doing in the world i mean you're making a difference and i don't think you we often are not acknowledged for any of it and one day somebody's going to say to me or you i saw you on the jim fannin show and it changed everything for me and even if you don't i mean it's hard to know that without the impact acknowledged but it may take 10 10 years 20 years for, you know for, you could be on a beach in 40 years and somebody say i thought you looked familiar you know i saw this thing many yes. years ago and you and you would have lived your whole life without knowing the impact you made so i'm telling you you're creating an impact you're having an effect on other people and i'm proud of you for doing it so and thank, thank you for your you. time you're welcome and on the way out anything you want to say to close i kept you over an hour but uh, i'm selfish that way <laughs> you know no honestly i did not feel like an hour whatsoever and yeah. i i that's a good sign i used to hate interviews and i love getting to to do interviews and like just talk just awesome. talk with people awesome. so um Everybody follow Jim on social media. Jim, yeah. what are your social media handles so that people can follow you? I'm at Jim Fannin Lives, at Jim Fannin Live. Yeah, I, I couldn't get the streaming going on this account. I've been uh, on, on, my, on my third account. I had the Jim, I was at Jim Fannin, 
And I was at Jim Fannin's yeah. show because I had my personal account, then I had my show account, then I had my realtor account at Team Niagara. That was all uh, fine until they started canceling me. And then I had people saying, this is, he's, a, he's supposed to be kicked off Twitter. But I didn't, you know, it's just like YouTube. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're shutting me down. I'm, I make accounts faster than they can shut me down. So, yeah, uh, if you add me today, I may be gone tomorrow. But uh, um, you're, we're live on Twitter right now. It's on, nice. it's on both accounts, the at Jim Fannin Live and the at Jim Fannin Lives. Uh, now I've rebranded them. So you can, uh, you can share that out if you like. And uh, yeah, I can't wait till the next time we get caught up. Hey, and if there's ever a time that you've got something that you want to get out, I'll clear an hour and I'll get it out for you. I, I love breaking news. And thank you for your vulnerability. I really, you know, there's, that's something I've, I've struggled with here because there's nothing sexier and I use sexy in, in the you know the world sense there's nothing more engaging there's nothing more that tr you know gets people to to come into who you are is like being vulnerable and I've mm -hmm. struggled with that because I talk about politics I very rarely talk about myself even in social media I'm not like here's what I had for lunch today and my kids are bugging me and this and that it's, uh, none of my posts are personal they're all about the world yeah. and it's usually about the world that I really loathe that I have a yeah. like I have I have an issue with hate you know uh, but you know I, I I can't seem to get rid of it I, you know I look forward to that day where I'm transformed where I don't have those judgmental thoughts because when I pray for myself and that's not very often. I, I usually give thanks for healing because I feel like the convicted thank God. And you mentioned gratitude is not like the number one step, I think, for, for getting yourself out of the gutter. Be grateful. Uh, I, you know, the convicted thank God for what they're asking. They don't ask. They say thank you for delivering. And, and, and in that prayer, it's so easy to when you're asking for strength to acknowledge how strong you are he's already giving you strength so can thank you for continuing to bless me further with more strength so my even my prayer life has changed completely because i'm like god make me strong no i'm like good god thank you for continuing to strengthen me because i'm already strong and i think that you know it helps to acknowledge what you've got already so I, I just pray, you know, thank you for continuing to heal me from ego, judgment, and pride. Because, like, what I hate in myself is what I see out in the world. And it's mm. all ego, judgment, and pride, which I, I suffer from. Yeah, I can't stop, you know. So as I acknowledge, and I think I've been very good at acknowledging my hate. You know, I think of if, if people like Madonna who stood up there on the lectern and said, I think a bomb in the White House every day. If she realized that she was just doing exactly what Trump did, what she complained mm -hmm. about Trump doing, she was doing right back to him. We're all Trump, you know? <laughs> We're more like yeah. Trump than we are uh, unlike Trump. We're all humans, you know? Men and yeah. women are closer to each other than they are different. Like, that's what we forget. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are different, yeah. And we're not equal. But that doesn't mean, you know, I'm not speaking for inequality. I'm just saying we're better at different things. Like, yeah, duh. absolutely. Like, well, you know, that's been demonized today. So anyways, I'm blathering, but I appreciate your time. And like I said, if you ever have something to get out, uh, touch me up and I'll help you get it out. And thank you for your vulnerability for talking about something that you've never mentioned before, because I think that's the, wow, that is the thing that really makes a difference for people, you know? And if I could get to that point, where I could say, you know who I really am? <laughs> Here I am. 
like what mm. I really struggle with because I put the mask on and everyone thinks I'm untouchable. They're like, Jimmy, I know, you know what I love about you is you just don't care what people think. You know, the people that know me know I'm deeply sensitive. I actually do care yeah. what people think. And that's why I do this. So when yeah. the hate starts flying, I'm like, yeah, it hurts, you know, but, you know, people think, you know, I put the mask on. Oh, yeah. You're, they think because I'm brave and have courage that that means I don't care. No, I'm just trying to wake people up. And I think this is a good time. And it's always a good conversation with you. So thank you very much. I'm grateful. God bless your heart. God bless you, too. All right, kid. Thank you, Jim. We'll talk to you soon. I'm going to do the hard cut and then talk for a couple more minutes on the way out. And uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you for this, though. For sure. Right. Absolutely. Have a good one. All right. You too. Ciao. Uh, there we go. You just wait for your guest to go out. Matea Murda. I don't need to say much else. Like, I, I, I've been going like this. I'll show. I've been going off camera because I have to I have to wipe my face and dry my headphones off because I had construction going on today and I locked all my windows and doors or closed all my windows and doors and lock, you don't even lock anything in this town. But you can barely hear in the background the motos are running. But yeah, I had construction and they were running the vacuum, the weed you know, the vacuum, the outdoor vacuum, like just at blazing sounds today. So I locked everything down and I'm just, I'm soaked top to bottom, but my shirt's soaked from wiping my face dry because, and the earphones. Anyways, Matea Murda is a friend of the show. Um, you know, somebody I've gotten to know only through my interviews. You know, it's not like I call her up and say, hey, can you give me advice on stuff? We don't have that kind of friendship, but I've really um, grown to be fond of her and proud of what she's doing and uh, just so happy that she's um, continued to be generous with her time. And I can only hope that it's beneficial for someone at some point um, that when they see the interview, they'll say, yeah, you know, thank you for that. So I don't need the gratitude, but... Um, I mean, that's why I do this stuff. So anyways, the links are in the show description, wherever you're watching this. This is her on Twitter. This is her on the fake book. And again, these uh, links are in the show description below. Here she is on Getter. Here she is on the gram. Oh, she's using the same picture that I used in promoting her today. I'm going to use this picture as well uh, for the podcast. I'm going to upload this. This is a nice little bio. It's on Trincity. Again, this is in the show description. This is not one of her per personal profiles, I don't think. Um, but this was a nice little bio that I scooped and put in the show description. I use most of it. Uh, so this is how you find her on social media. Thanks for joining in. Uh, questions, comments below. Share it out if you like it. And if you don't, too bad. All right, I'm out of here. Peace, love, hug your neighbor. And whatever you do, rip that mask off. It's not doing anything except covering that beautiful face of yours. Stop it. 
I love you. I am out.